Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on the junction of Hartford Street and Park Lane in Mayfair, W1. One street south of the last defense of Tudor Simeonov. One street east of the monstrous murder blamed on the horror maestro Lon Chaney. A few doors down from the bloody butler's big blowout. And a short walk northeast of the tragic war hero who would never return home. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Engulfed by a flank of five-star hotels. If you're a talentless, fame-hungry personality vacuum with fake teeth, fake tan, fake tits and a fake life, with a trowel on smile, a solo brain cell reserved for pouting, and a single expression of, oh my god, god, uttered like a constipated frog, then this is the place for you. But since the early 1700s, when Park Lane was developed as a playboy's playground, it has always been a place where prostitutes and punters meet. As rightfully, a lady of the night should want to meet a man with money and hopefully manners rather than a drunk thug with fast fists and hardly a tuppence. At 12.45am, on Saturday the 14th of January 1956, Ruby, a local sex worker, was dropped off at this spot by a husband and pimp called Ernest. In his own words, it was the last time I saw her alive as when he returned to their flat at 32 Westbourne Terrace. Ruby had been hatcheted to death in their bed. As the police's prime suspect, Ernest would lay the blame for her murder on a mysterious man he had neither seen, met and had only heard about from his dead wife in passing. Unable to provide a single shred of evidence that this suspect even existed. His only description was that he was a bearded man. But was this the truth, a lie, or a shaky alibi? My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 188 
The Bearded Man, Part 2. For the police, the most likely culprit in any murder is often the most obvious suspect. Stranger killings are incredibly rare, as the guilty party is usually the person with the most to lose or gain, like a relative, a lover, a friend, a flatmate, or a business partner. Of which, Ernest was all five, wrapped up in one. With mountain debts, a change in circumstance, and a strange situation in which he helped sell his wife for sex. Should a jury find him guilty, then the only rightful punishment would be his death. But how could they find him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, when the bearded man may have just been a myth? There was a wealth of evidence against Ernest Bolton. This was his home, this was his wife, and these were his debts. With his fingerprints found at the scene, his car spotted loitering nearby. A 45-minute gap in his timeline between when he last saw her and when his friend saw him. As well as a one-hour, 17-minute delay between the time he discovered her body and when his solicitor called the police. During which time, he failed to raise the alarm, to check her vital signs, or even to call for an ambulance. As to account for these inconsistencies in his alibi, his story had gaping holes and glaring omissions. He would blame his delay calling the police on shock and his prior conviction for running a brothel. With no sign of a break-in, he couldn't explain why he had a key to the flat, but not to the main door. As a handbag was missing, suggesting a possible robbery, he couldn't explain where it had gone. And yet, 11 days after the police had examined the scene, he miraculously found it under the grill. Asked if he knew she was dead, he replied, I'm not sure. I think so. I could see that something was wrong. And although her head was caved in and her blood splattered up the wall, he did nothing to help her. Seen in situ, her autopsy was conducted that morning by Dr. Keith Simpson at Paddington Mortuary. Based on her body temperature, time of death occurred between 12am and 2am, with a 45-minute gap in Ernest's timeline fitting it perfectly. With no signs of sexual violence or restraint, her assailant was unlikely to be a sadist, but someone with a grudge. Found prone and naked, Ruby was attacked with an axe wielded with such savagery that the blade embedded eight times behind her right rear of her skull, leaving wounds three and a half to five inches long and two inches deep. 
which had lacerated her brain. And as she had tried to fight back, the thumb of her left hand was almost entirely severed as she slowly bled to death. Her murder was frenzied, violent and spiteful. And yet no weapon matching those wounds was found. And with the flat's fire being gas-powered, it was likely the axe was brought here by the attacker, suggesting premeditation. Ruby had met several men that night, including Ernest. One was a West Country client who was due to stay the whole night, but there was no evidence he had either arrived or left. One was a seller of erotic magazines, which Ruby had one pound set aside to buy, but none were seen amongst her stash. And of the £11 she'd earned that night, roughly £300 today, not one penny was found in the flat or in her handbag. Ernest's story was sketchy at best. But the biggest was his alibi of the bearded man. Unable to provide any more details, he didn't know his name, age, address, occupation, or even a vague description. But that didn't mean he was lying. Given the shocking sight he'd seen, Ernest's actions were as irrational as any man who'd found his wife murdered. When questioned, his grief was obvious, being a broken man who'd lost the woman he loved. Speaking to sex workers who knew them both, his car was spotted in Piccadilly and Mayfair, as he had stated, during the time of the murder. And given the violence of the attack, the culprit should have had her blood on his hands, face and clothes. But having stayed over that night at the Merton's home, he had neither washed his hands nor changed his clothes, and both were free of blood. Questioned by the police, with not enough evidence to charge, Ernest Bolton was released on bail. With a primary suspect looking less likely, needing to either prove or disprove his alibi about the bearded man, the police examined several other fingerprints found at the murder scene and found a match. But was this a viable suspect or a convenient scapegoat? Born in the summer of 1928, Leonard Vincent Atta was a slightly undersized boy born in the spinny a quiet residential street in the town of Bedford. As the second youngest of five, with two brothers and two sisters, his upbringing was unremarkable.
educated to a level where a scholarship was mooted. As the family's finances were too slim to get him into grammar school, he left at 14. He spent four years at a travel agency, five years as an infantryman in Blackwatch, and by the age of 24, had become a bookkeeper at a timber merchant's in Bedford. Blessed with a fanciful imagination, a love of writing, and a religious zeal. Being a lifelong member of the Salvation Army, Leonard devoted his spare time to his faith, playing trumpet in the Salvation Army band, as well as being a bookkeeper and secretary for its infamous periodicals, Warcry, and Our Little Soldier. Always being neatly dressed, well-spoken, and clean-shaven, even as a boy, he stood out as odd. As a teen who struggled to keep friends and to seize the affections of girls, it wasn't only his weasley body, his moonlike face, and his dark, sunken eyes that made others uneasy. It was also his creepy demeanor. Being both a devout Catholic and a chronic masturbator, Leonard was a conflicted boy. With God in his heart. The devil in his soul, a swelling in his pants, and ever the sadist, perversions on his mind. In March 1950, at a registry office in Bedford, Leonard married Lena Frieda Schaefer, a German woman whose dominance excited him, as being a little bit older and a little bit taller. He was attracted to her power. Together, the two had a daughter, but no longer finding him sexually appealing, they later separated. This was unsurprising, as struggling with little man syndrome, Leonard openly bragged about the size of his penis, that he could satisfy any woman, that his capacious sexual appetite stretched to troilism, S and M, and group sex. But never homosexuality, and as a habitual user of sex workers, so gifted was his sexual prowess that even seasoned sex workers paid him for sex. As a regular in every red light district, he was regarded as a good client who paid well. Was no trouble. Who had a few odd kinks, but who doesn't? And could procure some mucky books at the drop of a hat. Across his odd little life, he was convicted of only one criminal offence. But it was not for violence. Out of a small office on Midland Road in Bedford. Leonard was running a small publishing house, which sold self-penned pornography, featuring lurid sexual dalliances between bad girls and wicked men. Considered tame by today's standards, his filthy mind earned him twenty pounds a week, a decent wage. 
but unable to separate fact from fiction, filth from fantasy. In May 1954, he stepped over the line as a lover of erotic literature to a convicted sex pest. When he sent some of his books, signed yours lustfully, Victor Love, to 17 girls who'd been the subject of indecent assaults and even rapes. Charged with only publishing obscene books and sending it through the post, he was sentenced to two six-month sentences to be served consecutively and a five-pound fine. When later questioned by a tabloid, he whined, It was just boy meets girl stuff. You know, I never meant anything. I was just lonely. Having served nine months in prison, he was released from Wormwood Scrubs on the 31st of December 1955 and was asked to resign from the Salvation Army. To disguise his identity, Leonard, who had always been clean-shaven, grew a bushy beard as he returned home to his rented lodging in London. Two weeks after his release, in a part of Paddington that he was known to frequent, Ruby Bolton was murdered. On the New Year's Eve, as premature fireworks burst across the London skyline, 27-year-old Leonard Atta strode through the prison gates with a new year, a fresh start, and shadowing his pale moon-like face, a dark bushy beard, all thick and coarse. Inside, he had undergone seven months of psychiatric assessment to correct a minor aberration of my mind, which had previously got me into trouble. Although not once was he ashamed of his crime, As the cold winter air filled his lungs, Leonard sucked in the much-lamented sights and smells of the city as he slunk past the prostitutes of Wormwood Scrubs and the tube train shunted by the sex workers of Shepherd's Bush, Notting Hill, Bayswater and Paddington until he got off at Regent's Park. Convicted of the offence of obscenity, his life was left in tatters. Lena had left him, taking their child. He had lost his job as a bookkeeper. He had barely a few shillings in his pocket. And his relationship with a 23-year-old window dresser called Thelma Rudkin had collapsed. He had no one, and he had nothing. Only Leonard was not the only person who would be punished as a prisoner for his crimes. Before his conviction, Leonard and Thelma had signed a contract on a lodging at 6 St George's Terrace in Primrose Hill, just north of Regent's Park. Since then, she had left him. But as legally 
a woman could not rent a flat of her own. She was stuck living in a one-roomed lodging with a registered sex offender. By day, she sat amongst the safety of the other residents in the communal kitchen. Warmed by a roaring stove that was kept stoked by broken logs and chopped up kindling. But by night, she was forced to share a bed with a creepy little man. Who had a suitcase full of porn, a raging libido, an insatiable need for sex. And having spent nine months in a men's prison, he lay next to his ex in a cold loveless bed. Thankfully, Thelma knew that Leonard was not a violent man. Just an odd fantasist who hated being rejected by women. Eleven days after his release, and three days before her death, Leonard prowled his usual haunts only being too broke to pay for sex. He sought out ladies in need of his mucky max and lurid literature. Without an ounce of shame, Leonard would later confess to the police. I went to Mayfair with the purpose of meeting a prostitute I know. She was talking to another prostitute on the corner of Hartford Street and Park Lane. I know her as Ruby. Having dropped her off, Ernest confirmed she was there. But as the street was unlit and he'd kept his distance, he could neither describe nor recall Leonard Atter. At first, she didn't recognize him because of his beard. I was talking to Ruby for about five minutes. I'd been with her before. Nine or ten times, I'd had intercourse with her for payment. Having loaned one pound of Teresa, he propositioned Ruby. But with her rate averaging five pound and fifteen pounds for the night, she politely turned him down. I told her where I'd been, about prison and his offences. She sympathised and went so far as to say that I should have a cup of tea with her the following night. She gave him a business card. She agreed to buy two books for one pound. And he arrived home at midnight. By the next morning, Friday the 13th of January, things were looking up for Leonard, the ex-con. Starting a new job as a bookkeeper to tide him over until payday. Thelma had agreed to loan him a further four pounds. After work, in the little kitchen, as they sat supping tea, eating a light meal, and being warmed by the roaring log fire, he unashamedly told Teresa about Ruby and the mucky books he planned to sell, stating, I haven't had a woman for nine months. I like her. She has invited me round to stay the night. 
dressed in a black suit, black shoes, black raincoat, and carrying a small black briefcase full of porn. Leonard left home at 11pm, like a little dark shadow which dotted the dark-lit streets of the city. A city which would soon drip red with Ruby's blood. That day had particular tensions for Ruby and Ernest. The rent was due, the debts were rising, Ruby was working hard, and Ernest had slept amongst the soils of a slew of men who'd banged his wife for money. The basics had become more difficult to buy. Their last meal together came at a kind client's coin. Their last savings went on a new hairdo. They were stuck in a rut. He could no longer drive her to pick up her punters or to run a legitimate taxi firm. That night, she earned £4 from her first client, possibly £3 from the second, £5 from the third. But having gone missing from 11pm for 40 minutes, most likely she gained extra punters. Ernest next spotted her back on a patch at 11.40pm. They spoke briefly, but its contents were unheard. He then circled from Piccadilly to Park Lane until he saw her enter a cab with a little guy at midnight. As per usual, by the junction of Gloucester Terrace and Craven Road, he waited in his freezing cold car outside the flat. Within sight of the side door and the window, with the light on and the curtains ajar, We know that the client was not Leonard. As at roughly 12.20pm, he rang the flat's phone, offered her £15 for the night, and in his own words, I phoned her. She was unable to speak openly, but I suggested I should make my way to the flat. Which begs the question, if he had planned to pay her £15, how could he do it with only £4 in his pocket, plus the £1 she would pay him for the books? Picked up by Ernest at 12.30am, Ruby would state, I've got someone here all night. I'm sorry, you'll have to stay at a hotel. Supposedly, Ernest inquired, I asked her, is it the bearded man? But as far as we know, she did not confirm who he was. And neither did she mention her pre-arranged client for 3am. At 12.45am, on the corner of Hartford Street and Park Lane, as she got into a taxi with a client, Ernest would state, it was the last time I saw her alive. 
but we know for a fact that that client was Leonard. Having departed Hartford Street at 12.45am, a taxi driver later identified Ruby and Leonard as the couple he had dropped off at 32 Westbourne Terrace. Just shy of 1am, about the time that Ernest was driving around Piccadilly, they entered flat 7. I asked her again to allow me to stay with her for the rest of the night, but she was adamant that I must be clear of the flat by three o'clock when her other client was due to arrive. I eventually agreed. There was no doubt in my mind that she was offering intercourse and the question of payment was not discussed. The residents of flat four immediately below and flat six to the side would hear nothing all night. When questioned, Leonard would state, she was most friendly. She made cold meat sandwiches and tea. We perused some pornographic photographs and she shared a large box of biscuits with me. Although when the room was examined, there were no signs of any biscuits tea or sandwiches. It was then, about 1.30am, around the time that Ernest arrived at Mr and Mrs Merton's, she suggested we go to bed and disrobed. She put her coat and dress on the settee. I didn't see her with a handbag. I also undressed with the exception of my socks. I joined her in bed where we had intercourse in the normal way. After which we talked about prison life, her daughter, told jokes and so on and so forth for about half an hour. We both then washed our sexual parts in the kitchenette. We both dressed and I left her to await the arrival of the other man, possibly from the West Country. I think it was about quarter past two or a shade later, but not much, when she let me out of the flat, but I let myself out of the outside door. There were no witnesses to what happened, but Ruby and Leonard. And although I was carrying a black briefcase containing photographs, which I intended to leave with Ruby, but I don't know why I didn't. His departure fits her time of death, just 45 minutes before the West Country man was due to arrive. A mystery man who was never identified. As a fantasist, even if Leonard was an innocent man, his next few hours were curiously odd. At about 2.30am, a taxi picked him up in Paddington. It drove him east to Euston Station, where he took a second cab northwest to his home in Primrose Hill. Arriving at 3am, having crossed several parks and a canal, 
at 7am over breakfast. His ex-partner, Teresa, asked him if he'd met the prostitute and sold her the books. He said, I did not. I went to the Lion's Corner House in Marble Arch and caught the last tube home. And yet not a single staff member nor customer could recall seeing him. That morning, he took the clothes he was wearing to a laundry and had them professionally cleaned. At 7.45am, on Archer Street in Soho, a lodger in the same house saw Leonard with his recognisably bushy beard and he waved. At 10am, at 44 Brewer Street, William Gasser, a barber, was paid four shillings to shave off the sides of his beard, leaving him with a goatee. And at 2.30pm, that same lodger saw Leonard again and would state he had quite a lot of beard. It was bushy, but now it was quite short. But was this the act of a guilty man covering his tracks or an innocent man going about his day? Having investigated Ernest's alibi of a mysterious bearded man, a fingerprint found in Ruby's room had led to the criminal record of a man convicted of the crime of obscenity, who knew the victim, had visited her flat, and would later confess that he'd had sex with her. But was he really her killer? On Sunday the 15th of January at 6pm, one day after her body was found, police questioned Leonard Vincent Atta, at which he confessed to seeing her but denied killing her, and he was charged the next day. Described as a fantasist and a liar, he would boast that he had had sex with Ruby without using a condom. But as no semen was found inside of her, the pathologist would state it was unlikely that sex had taken place. In a cupboard at his lodging, police found a black briefcase containing pornographic photos and a lurid story penned by himself, which he confirmed were his and which he had taken to Ruby's in order to sell. Given the brutality of her injuries, believed to have been inflicted by an axe, Although his clothes were clean, tests later found traces of human blood on his sleeves, legs and shoes, as well as on a handkerchief with traces of lipstick and on the inside of his briefcase, as this is how they believe he carried the axe. With a short-handled axe used for chopping up kindling missing from the communal kitchen, given his odd route home, Having possibly dumped the murder weapon in the nearby Regent's Canal, it was never found. Tried at the Old Bailey, on Wednesday the 21st of March 1956, Leonard Vincent Atta was found not guilty and later acquitted of Ruby's murder. With the judge, Mr Justice Devlin, 
stating that the prosecution's case was just a collection of small, circumstantial pieces of evidence. With that, Leonard was discharged and released. The inquest was closed without announcing a verdict. The murder of 35-year-old Rubina Bolton, known as Ruby, remains unsolved. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey folks, before we dive into Extra Mile, I wanted to give a little push to two super talented friends who have a new song out. Check me, I'm like a radio DJ. The band are called Hubtone, and their song, That Change, was created to address domestic violence and gaslighting, and uses some real-life examples, including experiences by one of the creators. I love it, and I wanted to share it with you. For me, it's a wonderful mix of Lisa Stansfield and Portishead, and I hope you'll like it too. So let me play you a clip. I thought we hit it off right off the bat. Got the looks, you got the chat. A sophisticated charlatan, you came. I gave. We played. Beautiful, you told me so Heart so full, it may explode Ride and hide together, but that changed Your sociopath who won't look back Got you knocked my nerves right off the track again To help support a worthy cause, live music and independent bands you can watch the video for Hubtone's track That Change on YouTube or listen to and download their music on Spotify and iTunes. There's links in the show notes. Thanks for listening.
Time for the time for the extra mile yawn. Oh my lord. Ooh. Oh god. Let's take off your little hat. There we go, folks. Hey, welcome to Extra Mile. See, I remembered to do it this time. There you go. Extra mile. Unscripted, unedited, blah blah blah. Waffle waffle waffle. Etc. Oh dear. It's the first time I've done that. So that was uh because uh, I was uh, as mentioned last week, although it's not last week, it's still the same day. Because uh, I because I was ahead of the game, I decided to do two episodes back to back, so I've recorded them both back to back. I'm not used to doing two back to back; it's tiring. Oh, anyway, good. So yes, I, I recorded the first one this morning. Then I went to Costa and I did a rough edit on the uh, on the uh, narration to get it clean and get it streamlined and balance out the sound. That takes that takes a while to get it nice and balanced. I hate when you listen to a podcast and it's like, and you like, what? I can't hear. I can't hear you. You're too loud. It's like, especially when people pay for podcast producers. It's a relatively not a relatively famous one, uh, and they have a well-known podcast producer on it that I listened to recently. Terrible, terrible! Like the intro music goes over the uh, uh, the, the the host. And he, I couldn't hear the host at the start, and I had to message them and go, "Please, please do that again. Please redo that." I normally wouldn't do that, but it was like it, it totally ruined the episode. I couldn't hear anything, so I had to let them know that they'd they'd really balls up. Not good if you're paying someone good money to produce and edit and do all the stuff they're meant to do and they can't be asked to listen back to the episode bad form bad form that's why i spend days editing these because i like to get it right um should i get myself a tea let's do me a tea let's let's do let's do michael began and done a tea here we go can i open a window while i'm there that's got water in it i hope that's enough and i'm gonna have a yorkshire tea a biscuit one a biscuit one um there we go, pop that in there. Oh, I've got some donuts. You may be uh, wondering how my diet's going. It's going great. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. My diet is going great. Uh, if the diet is uh, chocolate based. Oh man, I like, I like having a twirl with my coffee. Oh man. Anyway, anyway, Eva likes, it. Eva likes a bit of meat on me. That's what she says. So uh, yeah. Oh, well, can't be helped. Um, yeah, no, I'm having a biscuit tea, one of those Yorkshire biscuit teas. I can't remember who messaged me. Well, I think it was Holly, one of the patron subscribers, and she was like, I think, I th- oh, yeah, it was Holly. She's, she'd ordered a, a mug, one of the exclusive Murder Mile mugs. Ooh, she'd ordered, ordered one of the Stay Safe Eat Cake mugs. I've got Reg Christie mugs. I've still got some uh, Police Coastal Arsenal Guinness mugs still available. Uh, hopefully, hope, hope, hoping to meet PCAG soon. Obviously, he's been busy because of the, the Royal uh, Queen's funeral. That keeps him very busy. He was protecting the streets. You're welcome. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so they're all still available. Uh, why did I get into that? Oh, yeah, no, Holly Holly was like, uh, 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 can you send some tea bags with that? Because she wanted to have some, some English tea. Uh, and she mentioned about the biscuit one, so I went out and bought some uh, some of the uh, Yorkshire tea bi- uh, biscuit flavour ones. They're very nice, nice and sweet. You don't need too many sugars with it. <sighs> what else is going on in the world? Uh, I've got wonky shoes. I've realised that um, I have one foot that's, that's on, a, on a bit of a camber that's going inwards and I was like why does my leg hurt and then I looked at my shoes and realized my left one is leaning in so I've made so I made myself some special insults you're welcome uh what else is going on 
Um, oh yeah, with this episode, so what I'm going to do now is, because there's a lot to cover and there's too much to cover in Extra Mile, I sometimes do this with big episodes. Oh, burpee. Uh, that's a pate coming back. Uh, I will be doing so. I do walk with me. If you're a patron subscriber above, there's a second tier and above. Uh, that is walk with me. So I, I, I have a little rant uh, as I walk around and I tell you all the little secrets of all the things that I've edited and put into the episode and all the music and all the little sounds and all the things that I normally wouldn't tell you an extra mile. But for th- episodes like this that need clarity, um, I think sometimes it's it's worthwhile doing a kind of a nice walkthrough. So uh, I'm going to do a special one for everyone, all patron subscribers, which is why it's worth being a patron subscriber. Also, I think I'm going to start doing something new on Patreon this week as well. Something different. You'll know about it after next week's show. Uh, what else has happened? I was just walking home from Costa where I was ab- abused the Wi-Fi and I saw a monk jack, a nice little monk jack deer just sitting, just standing in the middle of the, uh, I was going to say canal the towpath not the canal that would be weird uh that was nice there we go just gonna pop this here let it brew for a bit let it brew there we go nice tea it's a nice tea it's got a nice little sweet flavor and it's it, it's got a, i think I, th- I think they've added kind of a special something to it to make it make it taste a little bit more milky 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 what else is going on um uh, this Sunday, which means two Sundays ago, so you'll have missed it, uh, I will be meeting up with a good friend of mine, Mr. Dan Hooning, uh, who's a, a Swedish true crime author and true crime podcaster. Um, got in contact a little while ago, uh, came on the tour, we had a couple of beers, uh, He's he was coming back to the UK, uh, so he was like, let's meet up again, and we'll probably have some more beers. Yes, that'll be good, that'll be nice. Uh, he was the one, I mentioned it ages ago, he, uh, he does all the uh, Swedish true crime podcasts, um, and he's done the uh, translated version of the Denmark Place Fire, so my version of that, so that went out to his people. It was really nice. I didn't understand it, because it's all in Swedish. So, goody, 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 but you know, I, 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 it was like, goody, 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 Denmark Place Fire. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good it's like i could hear bits because i knew the script so uh that's all good um big thank you to to some uh, patron uh, to patron supporters for this week so i'm having a giggle and you'll understand why in a second okay so uh this is not not with this first name so this is fine this is a normal name so uh thank you to these patron sub- sub- supporters uh casey jablonski Thank you, Casey. That's much appreciated. That's not why I was laughing. Uh, a thank you to Stevie. That's not why I'm ra- laughing. Um, <laughs> a thank you to Rick Dangerous. Lovely. I hope that is your real name. Uh, uh, and, of course, I'm guessing that this next name is, is not real. Uh, a thank you uh, to to Hugh Jacock. Hugh Jacock. Or if you don't put a gap in it, huge cock. There you go. There you go. That was, that's somewhat, that's, that's, that, that's the level that we're at now. That's what the level that we're at. Someone is uh, uh, giving their name as huge cock. There we go. Uh, lovely, lovely. Thank you for that. I did get it immediately. As soon as I saw it, I went, that's not their real name. And then I looked at their email address and went, yeah, it's definitely not their real name. So thank you for that. That was good. Uh, um, Let's dive into some quiz questions, then we'll dive into some extra stuff. But don't forget, if if you want to uh, 
join patreon i'm i'm not i i don't pressure people into patreon i don't because uh, you know difficult times ahead isn't it difficult times ahead i think cost of food impossible cost of fuel impossible i don't watch the news anymore but i still know that russia is being twat and that we've got an ineffective government and that everything's just shite so uh so yeah you don't have to if you don't want to but if you do if you if you want some something that's an interesting distraction i put on all the crime scene photos and little videos and some some extra stuff and some competitions if you want something that's a distraction as little as three dollars a month unfortunately it's all in dollars uh, it's very annoying anyway let's do some quiz questions and then we'll we'll crack on to some extra stuff <laughs> lovely <sighs> uh question number one in what town was leonard born hmm or is it a city i think it's a town uh question number two uh how many brothers and sisters sisters did leonard have question number three in the army, what was his rank and regiment? This was something that I st- st- struggled to say during this. It's not easy when you're when you're dyslexic and you have a bit of a stutter. Although I have to say, after five almost five years now, by the time you listen to this, it will be five years. Five years of doing Murder Mile podcast, and it was close to eight years for the uh, the the walking tour. That's it's really helped kind of sort out my 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 not not problems because they're not really problems you use them as to help you out in life i'm waffling again let's crack on um um question number four which two religious magazines did leonard write for interesting question number five what was the name of leonard's wife you're welcome to have first name uh surname uh or if you can get all three in there that'd be great Question number six. How much money per week did Leonard earn from writing porn? Question number seven. What day was he released from prison? Question eight. What was the nearest park to Leonard's home? Question number nine. uh, Name two murders, as mentioned in Murder Mile, which happened near his home. Uh, I've got three listed on here, so you could have you could have any of them. Although, to be honest, if you can name one, that'd be good. Uh, and question number ten: At what address did he live at in London? Right, let's dive into some stuff. I tell you what, I'll read Leonard's statement. I'm not going to do it in his voice, uh, although I did enjoy doing his. He, although I did, his voice wasn't as much fun as Joseph King, the Stalker Within. That was a really nice one to do. Good night. Daddy, I still enjoy Joseph. Uh, if only he'd come back, so I could so I could do good night, Daddy again. Um, let's do his statement. So um, when he was arrested, he gave his statement. Um, this was on on original on the fifteenth of January. So this is the the day that the body was discovered, but he wasn't he he wasn't charged until the next day. Uh, so you can see how fast the police were working on this, even though they got a primary suspect who was her husband and all the pieces were leading in at the same time that they're, they're not they're not going right. Well, it's him and it's no one else. They're kind of they're looking and they're expanding and they're kind of checking out every avenue. Um, it's interesting talking to a lot of the detectives that I've kind of spoken to over the years around things. And they always say, you know, you have to take everything with even if someone comes to you with a kind of piece of information which is clearly bullshit 
I remember talking to the, the detective chief inspectors about it with the Ginger Ray case when I said, Do you know, at least a third of that file is just bullshit of people coming up to the police and going, I think it was my ex-husband who did it. He's a nasty bastard, he is. Um, even though it's utter shit and they know it, they have to take it all seriously because there is the chance that you will miss something big and, you know, you'll just dismiss it and, you, you know could be the real culprit so they have to take everything seriously so um so you can see how seriously they took Ernest's comment about the bearded man with nothing else no name no address no other details except it was a man with a beard but they found a fingerprint they managed to link it to a man who didn't really have a beard he'd only had a beard for about six weeks but he had a beard on the night of the murder so it's kind of all these pieces started to come together so uh yeah it's fast this is why i found this case fascinating it's even though it's solved but it's not solved it's technically not solved there's so many pieces in it that it's it's that's why i need to do this extra thing which i'll do after this for um walk with me the extra so oh right let's do this um uh this is leonard's statement okay um on Thursday, the 12th of January, 1956, he gets the date wrong there. It's actually, uh, no, no, it's right there. Thursday, the 12th of January, 1956, at about 11 o'clock, I went to the district of Mayfair with the purpose of meeting a prostitute I knew and succeeded in selling her two odd pornographic books, which I had in my possession. She hangs around in those streets at the bottom of Hartford Street. Bottom of Hartford Street leading to Park Lane. There's kind of a tiny mini roundabout and next to it is kind of just up is the Dorchester. Uh, right next to it is the Hilton. Next to that is Nobu, uh, where all the pricks hang out. Um, uh, he said, on my way to Hyde Park Corner Tube Station, which is about two minutes away, I met a woman I now know to be Ruby Bolton. I knew her then just as Ruby. She was talking to another prostitute on the corner of Hartford Street and Park Lane. She greeted me warmly, so I stopped and talked to them both until the other girl left with the other man. Uh, we don't we don't know who the other lady is. It was in the police file, uh, but as mentioned in the last episode, it's since been removed so i don't i don't remember who the girl was unfortunately uh i was talking to ruby for about five minutes of course this is all leonard's statement and he is a fantasist and a liar so you need to be very careful about everything he says uh she first asked me where i'd been for so long i had been with her before um may 1955 uh nine or ten times when i had intercourse with her for pavement so not on that month but uh since uh, I told her where I had been. Although knowing Leonard, it could have been it could have been just one night. Uh, he does seem to be a bit rampant. Uh, I told her where I'd been and explained that I was only in the area uh, that, through my efforts to raise a few shillings by the sale of books. I explained that I was very badly off financially. I had an odd few shillings in my pocket plus a pound note for the books. Uh, well, I mean, a pound note he'd been given from uh, his girlfriend, Teresa, ex-girlfriend, Teresa. She sympathised with me and went so far as to say that I should uh, should have a cup of tea with her the following night. Now, that could be possible because she, she was a lovely lady. She did have tea in her flat and she was very pleasant. And he was a previous customer who, uh, if you remember, everyone had said, quite a nice guy, um, pays well, um, has some odd quirks, but then who doesn't? 
Uh, but, the, but there was never any hint of violence with him at all. Uh, she explained that uh, she was too busy on Thursday night. Uh, she told me I would be sure to find her on a usual patch late on Friday night. I got home about uh, midnight that night, which was confirmed by Teresa. On Friday night, I arrived at the corner of Hartford Street at about 11.30pm, which corroborates with Teresa's story, because she said he left at about 11 o'clock or just after. So uh, leaving their location which i'm not going to say where it was because that's a question i'm not going to say which tube stop they got on because that's also a question well done michael you're learning um uh intended to take advantage of her offer just in time to see her leaving in a taxi with another man so uh 11 ish uh it was actually more 11 40 if you go by Ernest's accounts um that could have been the little guy the guy who we referred to as the little guy, it makes it slightly um, uncertain in this because Leonard is also a little guy as well. Like he, I think he's about five foot three. They said that was his height. So it's it's really hard to pin down. Uh, he said, it occurred to me that it would be a waste of time to wait for her if she was away uh, for the night. So I allowed her time to reach her home. And then I, because obviously he knows where she's staying, uh, and then phoned her on on the ambassador number. I think it was 8325. He's not too far off of that or something like that. Uh, she was obviously unable to speak openly on the phone because she would have had a client with her, uh, but suggested I should make my way to her flat. Now, this is incorrect because he actually he actually met her back at uh, Hartford Street and Park Lane. So he kind of confuses his story a little bit here. This I did after about half an hour and was admitted by her. See, that's incorrect because we know that... Uh, they found the taxi driver later on and the taxi driver confirmed that it was a man with a bushy beard who was all dressed in black and behind his back he seemed to be hiding something although uh, the taxi driver later saw that it was kind of a, a black attache briefcase uh, inside of which we know was the pornography and his his story but also potentially uh, the axe why take an axe when you're going out to uh, have sex with a prostitute who know question um so uh, she said i should make my way to her flat i did the, this after about half an hour and was admitted by her um we conversed for some minutes uh, but she asked me to allow her time to ex to accept another client or two after which she would be free until the arrival at three o'clock of a regular client from the west country regular client 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 from the west country we do not know who he is uh there's no evidence for this at all um there's some in the police file, but as mentioned in the previous episode, it was redacted before I got back to it. Um, I've put in a freedom of information request, as I do. I actually put it in for this one about seven months ago, and they still, they're still mulling over it. So if, there's, if there is, if it is released and I get a chance to view it again, I'm going to go back in and get some more of the details out so we can kind of nail down who the West Country man is. Um she said she'd had a busy night so i asked her to refuse him and to allow me to stay all night but she said she couldn't do that as i as she uh as he hadn't booked a room this is the west country man we chatted about things in general for a few minutes and i mentioned to her about a jp which is a justice of the peace from whom i said i hope to get some financial assistance in a few days time now this is um, bullshit uh 
apparently this justice of the peace owed him 500 pounds utter dog shit um uh, we had been talking in terms of having a chat um but there was no doubt in my mind that she was offering intercourse as well and the question of payment was not discussed i then left the flat and it was between 12 15 a.m and and 12 30 a.m she gave me the impression that she was leaving immediately. I walked slowly from there to Hartford Street and Bayswater Road, by which time she had entertained another man and was back on the corner of the street. Um, now, that doesn't that doesn't correlate with uh, the correct timers because we know that he called her on the phone at roughly around 12.20 a.m. And we know that 12.30, um, uh, Ernest had picked her up from outside the flat. So Ernest would have seen her and Leonard together uh, and she would have got in the car and therefore er Leonard would have seen Ernest and her get in the car. And that's the point where Leonard drove Ruby back to Park Lane and that's where she said, I'm meeting a guy tonight so you're going to have to stay at the hotel. So again, there's there's a miss of correlations there. Um, although he could have got his timings wrong, he... Leonard may have been the person who she met at about 11. Well, he would have left his flat at 11-ish. It would have taken him half an hour to get to Park Lane. So that would only leave about 10 minutes before she was seen again at 11.40. Possible, but again, it's hard to keep these timings in check. Uh, I asked her again to allow me to stay with her for the rest of the night, but she was adamant that I must be clear of the flat before three o'clock when her other client was due to arrive. I eventually agreed and we travelled to her flat by taxi. I paid the cab fare. I don't know how much it was. I imagine I gave a nine pence tip. He didn't. He gave three. Uh, Ruby did not give him anything. She never spoke to the driver. We went into the flat, flat and she was most friendly and generous. She made some cold meat sandwiches. I think beef and tea. That's not the same sandwich, beef and tea. Uh, during which time she occupied me with a perusal of a collection of pornographic photographs. She even went to the lengths of sharing a large box of biscuits, which had been a personal Christmas present with me. Uh, it was then about 1.30am. She then su suggested we should go to bed and disrobed. She put her coat and dress on the city. Now, this was found, and if you're uh, a patron subscriber, you can see on the crime scene photos. But I don't know where she put the others. I think now she put all of her clothes on the city, which she did. I did not see her with a handbag at all. Um, now, it, it may seem that he's saying that, but don't forget, when people are given their statements, this is not someone sitting down and writing it. This is a communication between uh, between Leonard and the detective and then probably the sergeant and the sergeant is wrote, writing it down and the, the detective is asking the questions like did you see her with a handbag no i did not therefore he writes down i did not see her with a handbag at all so it, it looks like he's saying i didn't see her with a handbag at all it's not that it's i didn't see it's just basically them con confirming everything that they need to say in order to get it down in the statement so it's not really a true representation of, of kind of his wording um I also undressed, leaving my clothes on the fireside chair, could have done, uh, with the exception of my socks, which I kept on. Uh, I took this out of the episode. His socks were really, really terrible. They were really holy and horrible. Um, that was one of the few things that the police found. They did find his clothes, uh, which had been taken to the dry cleaners, but not, well, taken to the cleaners, the laundrette, but hadn't been cleaned fully. 
the socks hadn't he'd thrown them in a bin out back uh but they didn't seem to have any kind of uh, traces of blood on them so it's he may have probably ball washed them which would have done it or probably not ball washed because actually as we know ball wash doesn't get rid of blood but a cold wash is better there you go there you go obviously all ladies know that most blokes won't know that but yes uh cold wash if you want to get rid of blood not hot wash you can hear a, a crappy bike going past now um i joined her in bed this is leonard again not me i joined her in bed where we had intercourse in the normal manner just going to leave a pause there after which we talked of prison life her daughter told jokes and for so on and so forth for about half an hour we both it's my favorite bit you can enjoy this we both washed our sexual parts in the kitchenette i used the basin nice uh, we both dressed and i left to await the arrival of the other man we don't know who the other man is i think it was then about quarter past two uh that kind of does tie up to the the when he was uh picked up by the taxi driver uh, who took him to euston station uh it could have been a shade later but not much she let me out of the flat itself but i let myself out of the outside door i should have mentioned that soon after our arrival at the flat the second time um see we have no correlation of whether he did go back to the flat and then went out and then went back in we only have a correlation of a first time but it could be possible ruby handed me five pounds which she implied could be repaid when i could afford it um now he keeps reference as you as before as uh, we mentioned before he's got this obsession with the idea that he sucks so great at sex that often he doesn't have to pay for sex the sex workers are like wow you're great oh yeah please do me which is a very Reg Christie thing to say because he was exactly the same kind of narcissist who was obsessed with the idea that he had a big cock. Um, now, as we know, Ruby earned roughly £11 that night. We don't know what the second client gave us, so I've only accounted it as about £11, which is about £300. Um, he's saying that she gave him seven, uh, £5, which is about £125, which is a lot of money, and it's it's probably around a third of what she earned that night so why would she do that i mean she's in really a serious financial uh strife so why would you do that i think it's more likely that he may have he may have taken the money from her he did have money afterwards um after i left the flat i walked a hundred yards and stopped a taxi which approached from my rear and directed him to euston road um that makes sense because he's not too far away from his flat my intention was to visit bedford where he comes from for a day but i found out the driver had taken me to euston station instead of st pancras uh, i changed my mind and caught the cab back to my present home Mm-hmm. Uh, the cab set me down on the corner of <laughs> and primrose hill road i think i paid the cab out of a 10 shilling note and got four shillings and sixpence change uh, the police would later do a test and they worked out that actually um, the, the journey itself would only have cost two shillings and three pence. So he was entirely out with that. During the evening, I was wearing my blazer and flannels, an Air Force blue raincoat. Uh, that's just a colour, not that he was in the Air Force. Black shoes, navy blue socks and a grey cotton shirt. The shirt is at the laundry. It was taken in yesterday to the laundry round the corner. Uh, I was carrying a small black briefcase containing photographs and a story I intended to leave with Ruby, but I don't know why I didn't leave them. It's interesting because he needed the money. 
However hard up I may have been on Thursday night, I had the prospect of a loan of four pounds from a friend, which was Teresa, uh, which he had got from her and started work on Friday morning in a position which paid nine pounds a week plus. Um, I was also well equipped as regards clothes and had no accommodation worries. Not strictly true. Uh, the fact that during my imprisonment, I underwent psychiatric treatment at my own request, not st strictly true, for seven months, which was also intended only to correct a minor aberration of my mind, which previously got me into trouble. That was writing the pornography and sending it to the the girls who'd been uh, sexually assaulted. What a lovely man. Um, did not indicate that I had any violent tendencies. Uh, and I cannot disagree with the suggestion that something happened on Friday night, um, which I have not told you about in this statement. The account I have given is in my mind both clear and competent. And clear and complete. Sorry, not competent. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, originally in the story, he... he, he he kind of said that he may have had a blackout, which everyone seems to go with. They go, everyone seems to go, oh, I may have had a blackout. Do you know, when you hear all these stories about people murdering someone, they all seem to have a blackout. They all seem to get, they all seem to say, oh, the red mist came over and I don't remember what happened. It's, uh, it's always convenient, isn't it? I mean, it, it could happen. Very convenient. Right, let's do some quiz questions, folks. <gasps> Question number one. In what town was Leonard born in? I may have just given away that answer in one, one of my last bits. It was Bedford. Bedford in Bedfordshire. Uh, question number two. How many brothers and sisters did he have? He had two. One of each. Oh, no. He had two. Two of each. He had two of two of each. He had two brothers and two sisters because he was one of five. Right. <laughs> Does that make sense? I think he had two older brothers. Yeah, he had two older brothers. He had an older sister, but he had a younger sister as well. There's one of he was one of five. God, balls up that answer. Uh, question number three in the army: What was his rank and regiment? He was an infantryman in Black Watch. Sounds like bullshit, but he was. Uh, we've got we've got records to prove it. Uh, qu uh, question number four: What two religious magazines did he write for? They were uh, so. There's one during wartime uh, with the Salvation Army called Our Little Soldier, but the famous one, which is I think it's still running today, is War Cry. Question number five: What was the name of Leonard's wife? You can have first name, but if you've if you've got the full name, well done. It was Lena Frieda Schaefer. Unfortunately, there are some uh, books out there that have totally cocked up, and they list her as Lisa Schaefer. It's not. It's Lena. You need to check. You need to check the marriage license, people. When you're doing your research, the problem is people see it in a uh, in a news article and they go, "Yep, that'll do," and they don't realise that it's a spelling mistake. Idiots. Uh, question number six: How much money per week did he earn from writing pornography? It was twenty pounds, which is good money. So that was what was that? Uh, yeah, about four hundred quid a week. Which is don't forget, four hundred quid a week is different. That's what the equivalent is now, but you're kind of buying power back in the 1950s was a hell of a lot more. So, yeah, that would have been a good old wage. Uh, question number seven. Uh, what day was he released from prison? It was New Year's Eve. Question number eight. What is the What was the nearest park to his home? It was Regent's Park. Question number nine. Name two murders as mentioned in Murder Mile, which happened near his home. 
I mean, there's technically four here. Uh, so the first two possible murders by the Blackout Ripper. We've also got the Regent's Park uh, Zoo elephant keepers uh, and the discovery of Rennie Hanrahan's body. Uh, pretty much all of which happened in this season. So there you go. And final question, uh, at what address did he live at in London? It was 6 St George's Terrace. And again, in a lot of... Uh, unfortunately, there's there's books that make reference to this case, but not much because there's not a lot out there. And there's, there's, there's a couple of pieces out there. And people keep making reference to him staying at 60 St George's Terrace. Didn't stay at 60. Do you want to know how I know that? <laughs> because because I have access to all of the maps. Uh, the, the University of Scotland do a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful little website uh, where it's an overlay of maps. And it's all the maps that they know of the United Kingdom. And you can look at today's map and you can overlay it with like about 20 or 30 other maps. So I went in and I found uh, this street only has 11 houses. It only goes from 1 to 11. So it can't be 60. So I, I looked, checked the electoral roll and it was it was six. So there we go. But I know, I know that I'm going to get someone who's written a blog about this going, I think you'll find it was 60 St. George's Terrace. And then I'll go, can you prove it? And they go, yes, look at this book. It's written, a person written a book. So therefore it's, oh dear, oh dear. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Oh, right, folks, that was that. Oh, look, I've got a cake there. I've got a cake. The cake I mentioned last week is still the same cake that's over there, only I didn't eat it. So I'm going to eat it in a second. So that's me done. Hope you enjoyed that, folks. Uh, that was The Bearded Man Part 2, uh, the final part. Um, if you want to know more, become a patron subscriber. Subscribe to the tier, which is Walk With Me. Walk With Me and above. And there, therefore, you get to hear all this extra stuff that I'm going to add in. Um, next week... Because I've got the three weeks away, because I need to do the rest of the research for the rest of the season, because there's a lot of cases where there's no information out there. But I've done, I've done my research in the archives. I've seen the files. I just need to, I just need to piece it all together. So it's going to be something interesting and different, and you will all be going, "Oh, that's interesting." I hope, I hope. Uh, anyway, that's me done. Have yourself a good week, folks. Stay safe and be good. Thanks for supporting the show, and uh, best wishes. Stay safe, eat cake. Lots of love. Bye. Oh, I can't work out. Oh, man. How do I switch this off? Oh, my mouse wasn't working. That was meant to be my big out then. Right, this is the out. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.